Let's meet together at Joshua chapter 1. I'm reading, uh, beginning at verse 1 of this chapter. May we please stand again as we read the word together. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to you, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Verse 6, be strong and of a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you might prosper wherever you go. Verse 11, pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourself, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You may be seated. A lady bought a plaque inscribed with, Prayer Changes Things. She took it home and placed it on the fireplace mantel. A couple of days later, she noticed it was gone. She went to her husband and she said, do you know where the plaque is I put up that says prayer changes things? Yeah, I took it down. You took it down? Don't you believe prayer changes things? Of course I believe prayer changes things, he said. I just don't like to change How you answer this question says a lot about you. I view change as an enemy, or I view change as a friend. Your response is, well, it depends on what kind of change it is. One pastor said, in our church, change is sin, And we sin as little as possible. Change is a fact of life. Petrified uh, habits and opinions have to be buried or else they stink up the room. A relevant, vibrant church is founded on the rock and geared to the times. In Acts 6, the early church met its first crisis, the neglect of widows. 
The leaders initiated change. Problems solved. The church progressed forward. All of the New Testament metaphors of the church, and there are more than 20 of them, when you study them, all of them assume change. For example, the church is a body. If you don't believe that bodies change, you are either under 30 or you have not looked in the mirror lately. The church is a family where uh, children are nurtured and protected till they mature. Effective parenting requires flexibility. The church is an army that reaches out to take new territory. I appreciate this balanced counsel. We must be willing to leave the familiar without disturbing the essentials. Voluntary change. Do you find this? Voluntary change is not always easy. But it's more manageable for a couple of reasons. Because in it, you recognize some benefit. And most often, in voluntary change, you are in control. Involuntary change can be exciting. It means God is up to something new. However, it can also be stressful because you are not in control. Joshua is a handbook for dealing with uninitiated, off-of-the-grid change. In the opening scene, the baton is passed from the venerable leader Moses to a new generation leader named Joshua, who by the grace and power of God will lead the new generation into new territory promised to Abraham and his descendants seven centuries before. Someone tagged the book, the Indianapolis 500 of the Old Testament, Racing from town to town and battle to battle, it's a testimony of bold faith and frenetic conquest. Now, the starting line of the race is in verse 11. This is the message. Pack your bags. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River to enter and take the land God, your God, is giving you to possess. Before marching orders to the people in verse 11, there's the preparation of the leader. In this passage, we find principles that help us rise to the challenge of change. There is an important distinction now in the narrative. In verse 2, you have a change of leaders. In verse 11, you notice a change of location. You will cross the Jordan. And then change, the ultimate goal, does not come until chapter 4, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the people had completely passed over the Jordan. And in the middle is the T word. That is so stressful. 
and can be so intimidating, it is the word transition. When you think about it, the challenging part isn't crossing the Jordan. It's the stuff in between, the day-to-day on the way to somewhere else. Transition is the journey. Change is the destination. Say that with me. Transition is the journey. Change is the destination. Every successful change is made up of a three-part transition. Get the transition right, and the change will take care of itself. Let me say it another way. Trusting God and recognizing where you are on the journey will keep you balanced and will free you from gripping fear and panic. The first component toward change is endings. After the death of Moses, verse 1, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua. Now the baton was not passed the same day. Deuteronomy, in fact, a page back, ends with a 30-day period of national mourning with the conclusion, chapter 30, verse 8, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses ended. You can't move on to the next phase until you come to grip intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually with the reality that significant change the destination, transition, the journey, is underway. There has to be closure, doesn't there? When the transition resulting in change, you think I want you to get that? When it involves loss, you grieve the loss, and that's normal. Don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip. Don't ever let the evil one plant in your mind, well, if I were really trusting God, I wouldn't be on this roller coaster. If I were really mature in Christ, I would not be going through this. Faith has nothing to do with it. Maturity has nothing to do with it. I have walked alongside friends on their journey home. Many friends. Brothers and sisters of great faith who in embracing a terminal illness grieved the end of their lives. The impact upon their family, the family events they would never share, the grief of family and friends who do not know Christ. Now, when the change is something you look forward to, there are always things and people you miss, right? If you don't miss something about your job when you leave it, you've had a miserable job. If you don't miss old friends when you relocate or graduate from high school, you don't really have friends, 
A brother who retired more than a decade ago told me that he still misses getting up in the morning and going to work. Now, I understand the context of that. He didn't miss every aspect of his job, right? Let us speak reality this morning. But I guarantee you there were elements, there were things, there were facets of that job that he missed. I know another guy who keeps his work truck in the driveway just as he kept it throughout his career. He owned a business. Open the back and there are neatly placed tools. I mean, he's ready for the call. (laughs) And he hasn't worked a day in several years. In every transition, there are good memories that should be rehearsed and enjoyed for years to come. And I'm going to enjoy them for a long time. It should be a time of gratitude to God. And if you are a family member or a close friend, be patient with the reminiscing. It's important on the road to change. And above all, at this stage of endings, talk to the Lord about it. I don't mean five seconds before a meal or driving along, going to Walmart. Talk to God about the fact of what's happening, the implications of what's happening, how you feel about what's happening. And then give it time. Time. God says to Joshua in verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. But you know it didn't happen that afternoon. He doesn't say, now people, I'm giving you 48 hours and you are out of here. There were 30 days before you come to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. To deny change and loss. And the implications of it is to short-circuit the transition and to never really have an ending. The second phase in transition is the neutral zone. Sometimes it's referred to as the land between. That's verses 2 through 9. Think Dorothy and friends on the yellow brick road... On the way to the Emerald City. Once you've made your decision, you've talked to your boss or your boss has talked to you. You share a decision with friends, with family. You begin to feel like a stranger in familiar places. Do you know the time element in the announcement, within three days, God said to Joshua, Don't you wish neutral zones had expiration dates attached to them? Wouldn't it be great if it were all wrapped up with a bow on top within three days or three months, sometimes three years? 
There is a term for prolonged, extended neutral zones. What's the term? The new normal. This is a time for the spiritual disciplines, and I do use that word on purpose, for continual prayer, for continual meditation on the word, for a continual path of obedience. Early on, is this your experience? A calling from may be much clearer than the call to. (laughs) Oh boy. An Abraham experience. Pack up your stuff and don't worry about the destination. How do you deal with that? In three days, two important verbs. You will cross the Jordan River and possess the land. Now, both of those verbs are problematic. Two and a half million wanderers who have been camping out for 40 years. There was just enough information to scare the wits out of every rational person in camp. They knew the land beyond Jordan was already occupied, thank you. They had to know of the fortifications, the state of the arts weaponry that archaeology has witnessed too. The fierce tribes who called it home for generations. One Christian leader said this when he stepped back from an international organization in the prime of his life and career. When I decided to retire early, I was jumping off the high dive into the great unknown. That describes how you feel when you walk through the door marked neutral zone. It may be, and I'm going to term it in terms of loss. Loss of a job, a loved one, health, home, familiar surroundings, friends, a new school, a new cultural setting. Moms and dads go through this, don't they? Most do. There's this sense of loss when the kids leave the nest. Let's say you got four. I don't know if it's different when the last one leaves the nest than when the first one is. Is it different? Give me some of you. Is it different? Is it? Is it different? I'm looking. Is it different, Jim? It is different. Okay. Now, it's also different from the uh, empty nestee. I just invented a new word. And we won't ask Kylie to come up and give a testimony at this point. But let me say this to you kids. If you come home for a visit and the locks has been changed... You may want to work on this relationship a bit. The neutral zone reminds you, it should remind us, that though the journey is a formidable one, mysterious to us, that it is fully known by the Father, it's important that we praise Him That he is at work. He gave the wanderers information on a need to know as you trust me basis. The blank spots on the hard drive may precipitate 
fear as it did Joshua. You may be wondering, what did Joshua think about all of this? How did he receive this new information? How many times in the verses we met and beyond does God say to him, be strong, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, because at this moment he wasn't very strong and courageous. Perhaps you're stuck in the neutral zone, worried, angry, bewildered, depressed. These are tough times in the coal fields, aren't they? There are people in our area, maybe in our church, who in one sweep, because of business decisions, corporate decisions, employer decisions, have lost 100% of their pensions just like that. And I have to say, because of the president's war on coal, And that's tough from a a business owner's perspective. I'm not at all coming at it as to say that anyone, anyone, well, most anyone, makes those decisions very lightly. There are many others who have lost their jobs and whose jobs and companies are hanging by a shoestring. The neutral zone. One of the most remarkable neutral zone stories of our time was modeled by Dr. and Mrs. Robertson McQuilkin. Dr. McQuilkin was president of Columbia International University in South Carolina. When Mrs. McQuilkin, whose name was Muriel, was 55 years old, she began repeating herself in conversation. Ministering alongside of her husband, she was on the cusp of launching her own national radio ministry when she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Many said her husband was in the prime of his leadership at the university. And as the condition worsened over a decade, McQuilkin made the difficult decision to resign, to step away from his ministry, to care for his wife. Reflecting upon the end of their 40-year relationship because and through Alzheimer's, he said publicly and privately, I don't have to take care of her now. I get to. She served me all these years, and now it's my time to serve her. It was no platitude, not an ounce of sentimentality in it. McQuilkin writes this, and for 30 seconds, let's place ourselves in this position. Once our flight was delayed in Atlanta and we had to wait a couple of hours, now that's a challenge. Every few minutes, the same questions, the same answers about what we're doing here and when are we going home. And every few minutes, we'd take a fast-paced walk down the terminal in earnest search of what? Muriel had always been a good speed walker, and I had to jog to keep up with her. 
An attractive woman, executive type, sat across from us, working diligently on her computer. Once, when we returned from an excursion, she said something without looking up from her papers. Since no one else was nearby, I assumed she had spoken to me, or at least in protest of our constant activity. Pardon, I asked. Oh, she said, I was just asking myself, will I ever find a man to love me like that? The McQuilkins were in the land between for 13 years. She went to be with Jesus. And over time, Dr. McQuilkin embarked upon a new career of writing and mentoring and eventually married a Christian lady named Debbie. The neutral zone is real. But we don't have to fear it. Don't hesitate to cast yourself and cast yourself and cast yourself upon the Lord and look forward to the third phase that will come. If you don't do that, you'll stay in your bathrobe all day and make everybody around you miserable. There is a third phase. Chapter 4, verse 1. And it came to pass when that day came, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Now for Joshua, the call to leadership came at a notable time. He was born in Egyptian slavery. Do you realize that? He cited at least on seven occasions during the wilderness wanderings. He suddenly did not step out of nowhere to assume leadership. Joshua illustrates something that Jesus said. No one is qualified to lead until they have served. Joshua says this testimony in 14 verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. Kadesh Barnea was the Waterloo of that generation that escaped from Egypt. Born in Egypt, 40 years at Kadesh, Joshua is 70 to 80 years old at this juncture. Now, I can't find anywhere in the books of Moses how long the lifespan was in the days of Moses and Joshua. Moses did live to be how old? 120 years of age. Was that exceptional? Was that the norm? I'm not sure. But we can assume this. Joshua is in the last one-third of his life. And his greatest ministry, the most significant era of influence, lay ahead. 
Now we read what God did say, but understand just under the text what God did not say to Joshua. You've been wandering through the wilderness for two generations. You're tired. You've done enough. You've served. Let a younger man, the younger generations, fight the battles. Let them conquer the land. American Christians have largely accepted, without reservation or question, the secular culture's ideas and lifestyles related to the last one-third of life. Retirement, we are told, is to absorb oneself, nearly if not totally, in leisure, hobbies, grandchildren, a hundred good things. And I have to tell you, I'm looking forward to all of those things. This is not good versus evil in this text. One hears Christians say, by words and priorities, I've done my part, I've worked my job, don't call me, I'll call you. Let the younger people serve. I don't want to be obligated. Are there increasing physical, emotional, and mental implications? Sure. Do we welcome a time when we can step back from stress? Oh, yes. Someone tells of a retired couple, and the wife grew tired of him being around the house under her feet. And she said to him, what are you going to do today? Nothing. Nothing, she countered. You didn't do anything yesterday. I know, he said, but I didn't finish. (laughs) One wife described retirement as twice the husband and half the income. The word of God is crystal clear. Read Ephesians. Every believer has a calling that transcends our job and career. If that wasn't the case, God in his mercy would take us to heaven the day we retired. The moment you were saved, God in his sovereignty by the work of the Holy Spirit, entrusted you with spiritual gifts, abilities by which you glorify him, for which we will give account at the judgment seat of Christ, callings. We all eventually retire from our vocations. Some become disabled or permanently unemployed. But spiritual gifts... Spiritual gifts are never rescinded. Callings are never rescinded. 55, 65, 75. There's an important quote in the listening God. We may retire from our jobs, but there's no retiring from our individual callings. 
Now, your training and your career and how you make a living may intersect, hear me, may intersect with your calling, with the opportunities you will eventually have, or it may not. I've met believers who were career teachers, doctors, nurses, lay Bible teachers, administrators, helpers, homemakers, a lot of professions. I have met many people who are serving in their last one-third who've never stood before a group and spoken. This is the last time I will say this to you, but I must say it. The world is coming to your doorstep. It's called WVU Tech Beckley Campus. The CRC has stepped forward to help us, to facilitate, to provide for a presence of Faith Baptist Church and the gospel through this church on that campus. Who really cares? One thing I'd love to do is to teach English as a second language. My problem is I'm severely handicapped. I have not conquered English as a first language yet. Brian's safe house is in forward motion. There's a lady, I wish you were here this morning, who bakes cakes for every resident's birthday. You know her name, don't you guys? And all the residents said, Amen, praise the Lord, bring it on. We're calling the women's ministry Sparrow's Nest. Folks, there are amazing opportunities. Let me ask you this. What has to happen to minister to the Safe House residents after they've graduated from Brian's Safe House? I could talk about so many areas, but you don't need to hear my vision. What about computer skills among children? I thank God for Bishop Sims and the Heart of God Ministries who are stepping out with things like computer skills to reach out to kids in East Beckley. Thank God for him. When the secular culture defines retirement, the church at large suffers, the gospel suffers, your church, the younger generations miss your example, wisdom, experience, mentoring. They are abandoned. What are we really teaching them? When we get to a certain point and we say, well, I have served, and you, you exit, you quit a ministry. I tell you what we're teaching them. Consumerism at best and narcissism at worst. Psychologist Norman Cousins said this, Retirement, which is supposed to be a chance to join the winner's circle, has turned out to be more dangerous than automobiles or LSD. A chance to do everything that leads to nothing. It is the gleaming brass ring that unhorses the rider. 
Well, the Bible says nothing about retirement. Have you heard that? That isn't true. God stipulated a retirement age for the priest in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 8. What was retirement age? Would you venture a guess? I doubt you've read Numbers chapter 8 this week. What was retirement age for the Old Testament priest? It was 30. On oh, <laughs> Praise Lord. You know. <laughs> no, it was... Anybody guess? It was 50. But notice this. The priest transitioned out of a leadership role to an assistance role to the next generation mentoring, teaching, supporting them. They just didn't walk away. They weren't released. From ministry. I speak to every person of Faith Baptist Church over 50. Your involvement, your ministry is crucial. The effectiveness, the growth, the ongoing blessing of your church rests on your shoulders as surely as it rests upon the shoulders of the millennial sitting right now in the chair behind you. God has not released you from ministry. Involvement with younger people, praying, leading by example, doing practical ministry, taking on projects, loving the Lord and your church and each other. The possibilities are only limited by your vision and your ownership of this ministry. Truth be known, some of you are waiting to see what happens in the next two months. You're just waiting to see. God is calling you to own it. I say it out of a heart of love. If you're not ready to own it, why are you here? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And it isn't limited to physical ministry. It isn't even limited to GBCS as, as our school um, comes to a time of transition. There will be time to express our love and our deep appreciation for Dr. Jim and Kathy and to recognize the amazing things, the miraculous things God has done under Dr. Jim's leadership over the last eight years. Folks, I have personally led six search teams. I know a miracle when I see one, okay? We'll have time. There's a new term. Have you heard it? Elder lessons. Some are calling it the 60-80 window. 
A resurgence of people between 60 and 80 who are rediscovering the joy of service and of ministry and of investing in the lives of others, accepting new challenges, new opportunities, new kingdom vision, a determination to make a difference. An elderly man named Lloyd spent his working years selling shoes for the Forsheim Shoe Company. Several years after his retirement, he had a devastating heart attack. The doctors told him he should have died, and he didn't. You know, he couldn't get past that. And he began asking himself, I'm sure asking his wife, why am I still here? Why am I here? And about the time he was pondering that, he heard a speaker Talk about using new technology to take a pre-recorded message to pre-literate people groups around the world. Must have been a missions message. The speaker said to do that required a solar panel, but that panels cost $40 each, and it was just impossible to make headway at that kind of expense. Now, Lloyd, Lloyd had no knowledge of solar panels. He was a retired shoe salesman, not an engineer, but he sensed the unmistakable voice of God. People needed to hear the good news about Jesus Christ, and he got passionate about it, and it began to occupy his thinking and his praying, and that's a dangerous thing. God, you ought to do something. Somebody ought to do something. Guess what? Remember Nehemiah chapter 1? God said, do something. So he knew some engineer types. And he got them together and he laid out the challenge. You guys ought to design a cheaper solar panel for Jesus. And uh, know what? They got together and did it. They built a prototype. They put it into mass production. Over 20,000 solar panels got produced because of a retired shoe salesman named Lloyd Swenson. So this is the question for all of us, no matter what our stage in life. Why am I still here? It may not be grandiose. We tend to think it's the public stuff. It's the stuff that gets attention. It's stuff, no, no. We are all called to take new territory, to make a kingdom difference beyond our vocation. Folks, I'm living this. It is not to take up space and to enjoy our comfort until they throw dirt on the box. Endings. Some of you are there. The neutral zone. You're there. Others of you 
are embracing change, a new beginning. That's your calling right now. It's your calling. We've been in a neutral zone since last August. That's about to change. Are you ready for it? Individually, as families, as a church family, every ministry here, the stewardship that's been given to you in this community. Some of you recognize this prayer. Who prayed this prayer in the Old Testament? Jabez. I've outlined a phrase. And Jabez called on the Lord God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be upon me, and that you would keep me from evil, and that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. And enlarge my territory. Jabez was not asking for real estate in Israel. He was asking for a larger vision. That begins with personal vision. It begins with taking what we know and acting on it. waiting for him to speak or to obey when he's already spoken. Who will accept the challenge? Who will answer the call?